Welcome to In Solidarity, a Seva Cooperative Federation podcast. Seva Cooperative Federation has been working for over 30 years to economically empower women in the informal sector through worker-owned cooperatives and collective enterprises. To put it quite simply, we work as a women's enterprise support system to promote and strengthen grassroots women's enterprises. Through this series of podcasts, we hope to cover themes that are of importance to informal women workers and their cooperatives and collective enterprises and how we can create an enabling environment for women's enterprises to thrive. Abhi to bahut bada sapna hai hamara. Mujhe kaam nahi bahut zarurat hai mana le ja. Ab hum log ke paas capital aa gaya hai. Ab hum log khul ke karenge business. समय में तो जो जाए तो आप बढ़ो काम में समय जाए समय का बहुत मुश्किल हो अभी हम लोग मतलब ये पैसा राउंड होते होते हम लोग बारह तेरह लाख का बिजनेस चल रहा है यू ट्यून्ड इन टू इन सॉलिडेरिटी अ सेवा कोऑपरेटिव फेडरेशन पॉडकास्ट माय नेम इज प्रियंका एंड माय नेम इज सलोनी and joining us today on episode 2 titled changing the lens communicating women's lives and livelihoods is p sainath hitakshi ben a farmer and board member of megha adivasi women's cooperative from tapi south gujarat says jo bhai hoy che khet mazur nu kaam kare che pan 12 kalak ocha mazur kaam kare che pan beno hoy che to 24 kalak kaam kare che men work for 10 hours a day on the field or as laborers but women we work 24 hours a day in the field in our homes and with the increased burden of unpaid work even when we go to sleep we're thinking about the children or what needs to be done on the farm the next day but when the newspaper covers farmers they only seem to cover men and it makes me really sad women do the same work if not more and we are as capable why then is our work not visible a report by UN women in partnership with media watchdog news laundry revealed that men controlled over 80% of TV panel slots and 75% of the bylines in the Indian mainstream media women in general but especially conversations around informality and women's work are practically missing from the media and policy and development landscape economic status informality caste urban versus rural add several layers to this conversation about visibility of informal women's lives and livelihoods and this despite the growing feminization of agriculture and the major contribution of the agrarian economy rural india and our women farmers to the national economy how then do we recognize women farmers enable them to tell their stories and ensure that the gains of the digital economy or agritech as it seems to be growing reaches our farmers reaches our women and no one is left behind are collective models such as women owned cooperatives the answer P Sainath is an Indian columnist and author of Everybody Loves a Good Drought a recipient of the Raman Magsaysay award he is founder of the People's Archive of Rural India a digital journal and archive covering the everyday lives of everyday people we are absolutely delighted to have him join us on this episode of In Solidarity to discuss changing the lens communicating women's lives and livelihoods Welcome Mr. Sainath and it is an honor Thank and you. privilege to have you in the studio with us today. Both Saloni and I are absolutely delighted that we get to have a conversation with you. My pleasure. I'm going to start with the first question. We'll talk a little bit about informality. Um 
you see informality in india is pervasive and women form a major proportion of informal workers now we know that these workers are left unprotected by the state they are exploited in the private market um and they've continued to remain poor through generations it is also true that women experience informality differently from men in your experience what are these critical differences and why is it important to talk about it well i think the first thing is that you've always had these gaps and inequalities but you've had 31 years of economic policy entrenching those and introducing new inequalities besides deepening already entrenched ones so that's one of the first problems the second is it's very very central that we look at if you're trying to tell anybody's stories the share of unpaid work because that's not just the money it affects everything else it affects the time available to women to do other things but the unpaid care work looking after others looking after that home the ilo estimate of that and interpreted by oxfam is that women and girls contribute unpaid labor annually unpaid care work the equivalent of 12.8 trillion dollars wow that is trillion is 12 zeros i can't fit it in my head the 12.8 trillion that amount is is much greater than the size of the global tech industry yeah and if you take the top 10 tech majors it's probably three times their size you know when we think of informal mostly we think of the construction labor agricultural labor all of this but there are a million forms of now when have you ever seen a man collect cow dung cow dung saves this country tens of billions of dollars each year in uh, substituting the fossil fuels which you would otherwise import it's there is no proper estimate but it's in tens of billions of dollars now i'm not singing in praise of uh, cow dung i think it's a terrible thing women pick up incredible amount of ailments from breathing that poisons in the cow dung and in fact a woman in a closed hut using cow dung is um exposed to more health hazards than a factory worker in a bad factory so i'm not praising that but the fact is you bloody well recognize it why doesn't it happen well cow dung isn't listed on the stock exchange <laughs> though a lot of bullshit is <laughs> maybe maybe it's a, you know maybe it's that gender discrimination thing there <laughs> so you know, but yeah so that's the that's the thing they they it's not listed on the stock exchange and work at home and un- the care work is that isn't listed on the stock exchange either and anything that is not paid is not factored into your gross domestic product right so you are actually concealing the contribution of 
God knows how many hundreds of billions of dollars. Kaudang is just one small thing. How many, how many trillions of rupees we conceal from uh, by not calculating the value of women's work. Mr. Sainath, how do we begin telling the stories of women as workers? What are some things from your experience to keep in mind uh, to represent women as they see themselves? Whatever you said about the media is true, but in the People's Archive of Rural India, I think the largest focus on labor is on women's labor. One of... Um, uh, I'll tell you about telling the stories. One of our, in fact, our only full-time photographer. Now, he himself comes from a family of agricultural laborers. So, there's a lot of empathy. The photo story he did on women seaweed harvesters of the coast of Ramnadapuram. Now, these seaweed harvesters, it's astonishing. I mean, even the way the story begins that there's this bunch of women who get out of their homes at 4 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. and walk straight into their office, which is the sea a couple (laughs) of hundred yards (laughs) away. They're from the fishing community. Now they dive, you know, as the seaweed has receded, they dive three meters, four meters, six meters. Sometimes they go far out on boats to islands from where they are now prohibited by the forest department and dive there six meters or so Palani Kumar went out with them dived into the water with I think some of his equipment wrapped in plastic and he has shot their work underwater up to four to six meters underwater and I don't believe he had the goggles which they had. So, I mean, that, the, the thing about telling the story first and foremost is that we shouldn't be telling the story. They should be telling the story. Yeah, We use our, you know, training, our skills, our knowledge to give context, to give context to what they are doing. But let them tell you about it. Yeah. So telling the story is the first thing is gaining confidence. And they have to recognize your, I mean, they have to find you credible. So your credible, language is a second problem. It's not the first as many people think. I speak five languages equally badly. (laughs) But it's a matter of communication. I don't see language as anything more than that except when I write in English. Um, And even then the priority is communication. You need to know the rhythms and routines of that labor. Now that was what I did for and still do whenever I'm doing a woman's story. You cannot get the half of it if you are not staying in the community, preferably in her house, and you get up in the morning when she does, which I do, and I, I'm a guy who uh, 
goes to bed around the time they wake up <laughs> so the first half hour goes outside in swearing <laughs> and then you think actually it's very nice and cool i should be doing this more often but the first hour is completely bitter <laughs> and uh, they are not thinking about the pleasant stuff or anything though they like it but they, they're too busy working one of our four important mandates in pari is generate journalism amongst the communities conventionally excluded from it i'm going to pick up one thing you said uh, early on you said you know unpaid work isn't listed uh, cow dung isn't listed unpaid work isn't listed and i want to bring to you something that hitakshi ben said we have a recording but it's in gujarati so i'll translate it amuk beno ni mansik sthiti evi che ke ame to khali grohani che women my sisters my fellow farmers we think of ourselves as grahani we are household bearers or household workers uh, although we have the capacity to earn our work doesn't isn't seen to have value um care isn't seen to have value but she's also seen that if there is say one other woman on television or one other woman in a newspaper and women in her community see that uh they get inspiration and these stories start coming up uh this is what she says so given that uh given that the work is invisible given that a woman holds multiple identities uh given that women that counting farmers and surveys is linked to land ownership and women don't don't nearly have enough land in their names uh how do we begin recording how do we begin counting uh and what you said of course goes to that effect also but if you can talk to us a little bit about this how do you put the value i think there have been there are economists like joyti ghosh etc who have been working i mean uh, far more competent than i am to tell you about that but it means that we have to absolutely in the first sense discard dismiss the present idea of growth and the present constitution of the gdp i'm saying i think it's worthless suppose when you constructed this building you added to growth now if you demolish this building you will add to growth because it's paid economic activity growth has become such a stupid idea all that it meant its its originators never intended it to be used politically and as a class war tool in the way it is now they simply defined it as the aggregate of your economic activities then you have to get in then for the purposes we are using it now you then have to get into what is the economic what is what constitutes an economic activity then you say it's paid right and then you rule out women so that whole thing if you want to change it you have to you know the american ecologist uh, edward abbey the monkey wrench gang most famous book he put it all in one line he said growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the cancer cell <laughs> that grows <laughs> yeah and when it grows beyond a point you're dead <laughs> so uh whereas 
there have been huge debates over that from the time of growth with fairness or john kenneth galbraith who argued for uh, growth with distribution and growth with justice i think absolutely the best i have heard has come from professor prabhat patnaik the economist who says you know it's not enough to have growth with justice you have to have growth through justice mm-hmm. and that's the only one that make any sense otherwise all this stuff of the numbers of growth they're also they are in one sense useful when you're talking about um, the inequalities the gender inequalities when you're talking about what women are enduring and how you are to tackle that you first have to recognize the context in which those inequalities are growing rapidly see there was a feminization of agriculture and there's been a reversal of that with lots of people dropping out all all women dropping out also and it's changed both ways at different times i think the big thing that's missing is placing it in the context of the greatest inequality levels independent india has ever seen and wherever that inequality grows women and girls are going to be the worst hit i'll give you specific examples of it they the and in how to tell the story women and girls are the worst hit and the greater the inequality gaps grow the greater they suffer particularly dalits adivasis and poor obcs inequality is not class neutral caste neutral no. it's not caste neutral because of the very strong links in the countryside between your occupational caste and your economic condition interestingly forbes puts out its billionaires list each year on march 8th international women's day i don't know maybe it's an aspirational thing or something <laughs> like that because there aren't too many no. there aren't too many of there are but not too many of them uh now so the promise of capitalism is that if you, you if you work hard enough if hard work made you a billionaire as people before me have pointed out but i'm putting it to you in this way if hard work makes you a billionaire every woman in rural india and 80% of them in urban india would be a billionaire every woman in the continent of africa would be a billionaire right but what we know is <clears throat> that 22 global billionaires own more money have more wealth own more wealth than all the women of africa put together hmm. you're looking at stunning levels of inequality now these 166 individuals their total wealth in 2020 in 2021 was roughly 794 billion dollars which was about 27% of your gross domestic product lending emphasis to the whole other meaning of gross 
That's 0.000014% of the population controlling 27% of GDP. That is simply a horrendous figure. Now, if you look at care work um, in rural women worldwide, they spend up to 14 hours a day doing that, which is five times, I'm giving you figures from Oxfam and its interpretation of ILO and other data, which is up to five times what the men in their communities do in care work. So I'm saying it's not just that she's denied the payment. Yeah. So she's denied the opportunities of study, of learning, of uh, developing skills with these technologies, which actually work against her in the real world. The story I want to tell of informal workers, the stories that I want to tell of them, are the stories where they get organized formally. That's what I want to see happen. All your big labor movements came out of people who were originally informal. The aim should not be to say, oh, I don't like big unions. The aim should be, let me build my own. Or also work for uh, greater gender parity within those. That's what we have to be doing. So the ways of going about it, one is, you completely discard the, the present definitions and ideas of growth in GDP. And I think that you look at it through a prism of justice. Growth through justice or just first focus on the justice. The second in India, I would say, is that we need to, they are there in your constitution, to my mind, the soul of the constitution is the directive principles of state policy, the right to work, the right to this. And that should that would have to include the right to minimum wage. In, in uh, There are states in the country where the NREGS wage is lower than the state's minimum wage. So all these things you have to throw out. The directive principles of state policy allow you a lot of leeway on right to work, right to health, right to food applied in that health and nutrition. And the first thing it says is that it is the duty of the state to minimize inequality, that equal pay for equal equal pay for equal work, and that the health and of uh, women and children shall not ever be neglected. If you can't unify your people on upholding their constitution, what can you unify them on? My next question to you is, could you tell us about a story that you have worked on about women coming together or organizing, as you call it, um, either of a women's collective enterprise or a labor movement that is led by women? For me, I mean, on what I have worked on, Kudumbashri is a spectacular example. In 20 years of the agrarian crisis, 15 of those years, they were the only small farmers. Kudumbashri is lots of things. It's into, you know, you'll find on Trishur, all women auto repair shops. 
who will do repair your car as well or probably better than any btech hmm. so they have various little units for me the heart of it is about 250000 300000 women who are in 70000 little collectives called sangha krishis that is group farming now the average the size of the land on which these collectives work is 1 acre to 2 acres on 1 acre you might have four women one unit the biggest unit will be 10 women working on i think that i learned one economic concept from them that is they they were not at all impressed with talk of food security food sovereignty they taught me the value of the approach being food justice which is based on the principle the producer shall never go hungry so suppose you produce 2000 quintals of paddy it must first meet the needs of the families of those women because each woman is seen as representing kudumbam kudumbashri it must satisfy the demands of those families and then you can sell the rest on the market in the countryside i am seeing in farm household after farm household generations of children growing up without milk because they have to sell the milk commercially in order to have other essentials at home it's appalling i mean imagine that a, a farm child who doesn't drink milk yet another thing is that that's not going to happen without public action and struggle and that's where i think i mean that's what i think kudumbashri women have achieved they did extremely well women with kudumbashri background did much better than any other women in the uh, local bodies elections because people are seeing them as problem solvers in their village Hmm. So I'm going to take us back to something very interesting you said which was um you don't tell the story they tell you you know they tell the story um and in that context uh the way the problems of development are framed or the language that we use um to designate them uh can themselves be a form of power and continue to in some ways exacerbate these inequalities um therefore it is important as you say to represent people as they see themselves or for them to tell the story themselves um given that women hold multiple roles and very often they don't see themselves as workers how do we begin to put the power back into into their hands uh, actually i think they have an advantage women grandmothers mothers are far better storytellers <laughs> than the men in november my new book will come out it's on uh, the last living freedom fighters wow eight of them have died while the book is being done eight of them are alive and you will see one of the differences is five of them are women which you will not find in any history books on fr- freedom struggle 
and you will see that the women, the first story starts with Hausa by Patel from Maharashtra. You see the story she tells. It's happening before your eyes when you read what. She, but it is our, it is what skills we bring as journalists to frame that story in a way that will entrance a younger generation. Mm. So one, as I said, it requires an enormous amount of persuasion to win the confidence of that person. And in the 10,000 photographs I've put up for our archive, you will not find a single woman self-conscious or simply because I stayed in the house of those I photographed. On the third or fourth day, they get accustomed to US part of the furniture. In an interview, very often, I don't bring out the recorder or the camera till very late. It may mean having to repeat whole sections. Mm. But I don't. Other, you know, first thing I go and set up lights, camera, this thing. Immediately the person is self-conscious. You need to have an unobtrusive approach to that. You need to spend one a lot of time. You are going to someone's house and asking the most intrusive questions. Why the hell should she tell you how much her husband drinks? <laughs> I mean, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet I ask those questions <laughs> all the time. But I ask it when I have her confidence. A relationship. Or I am in the company of someone hmm. who has totally her confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Third, with women, the best stories will come when the men are not around. One of the things that you mentioned was what that lady said from the Adivasi group, that most of us think of ourselves as unimportant. In my book, there is an maybe the most extraordinary character, a 104-year-old woman, still in good shape, who spent two and a half hours telling me I had nothing to do with the freedom struggle. I did nothing in the freedom struggle. A lot of people, a lot of women, as you know very well, better than me, absorb the stereotypes of what a woman's role and contribution is. So this went on for hours and she said, uh, you know, people asked, um, you know, I said, so what did you do? And she said, I ran this family, joint family of 20, 25 people. <laughs> I, I grew the food. I transported the food. I did all the cooking. And then there's this husband who would bring uh, his friends and I had to feed them. I said it must have been very hard when your husband was uh, imprisoned for 13 months after the attack on the Purulia police station. It must have been very hard. She said it was much worse when he came back. <laughs> he came back with another 20 people <laughs> whom I had to feed. And you know who she was feeding? She was feeding 20 to 25 revolutionaries underground hiding in the forest and growing food and feeding them 
at the height at the height of the, the Bengal, Bengal famine. famine. Now, if that isn't a contribution to the freedom struggle, I don't know what the hell is. Very important to get the women to reinterpret and come out with the centrality of their role. Mm. You know, so there are so many of them who have absorbed those stereotypes from when you're a girl able to understand anything at all, you understand that your role is secondary or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Right. So that is something else as you've got to get out, get them out of. You have to make it clear that you are open to being asked equally intrusive questions by them. They can also ask you questions. They don't know that or they don't assume that <laughs> they have the right because you are the big city slicker. So you have to tell them that you can ask me any questions you want about. You can tell them even before you begin. And many of them will ask. Maybe not at the beginning, maybe at the end, but they will ask. And they will surely then ask you the question of what are you getting out of this and what am I getting out of it. Yeah. So there's a number of things you do. Let them tell the story. Then we do the research for the context of that period. And that's how I think storytelling is done. It's not the reporter who is primary. It's the reported who are the primary. Mm. You see, the internet is a whole different world. And in, informal women, like you said, don't have access. I mean, access to technology is one thing. And then, therefore, are also not so much on the internet. Um, but your work with Pari has been an incredible kind of documentation or archival of a very large section of society. Um, how, according to you, can women in the informal sector reclaim the internet? You know, given the digital divide, I think well, various I mean, divides. Why are we making them responsible for the reclaim? <laughs> All of us have to do it Absolutely. with them, for them, for us. Mm. The uh, And there are lots of people, uh, you know, and there are groups and non-profits, etc., who are trying to work with uh, marginalized communities and technology. Now, in, a in our given society, technology tends to work against them. Right. Therefore, it's good that groups are trying to sort that balance. But in the internet, look, four, four guys, sorry, they're all guys, <laughs> control the net. The digital monopolies are the greatest monopolies in the history of the human race and the nastiest. Mm. One feature sets them apart from all earlier monopolies. No other monopoly in the world owned and traffics in your personal data. These guys own your personal data. Hmm. You write her a mail that I'm thinking of going to Sao, uh, Rio and Sao Paulo for a holiday. How many thousand ads will you get in your mail? You've been algorithmed out of your intellect there <laughs> with that. So they 
that gives them an unrivaled power over mm. the human race they have to be broken and they have to be broken really really fast and i'm very glad that some of them tend to break themselves at that stage when you're a gargantuan monster things happen like it's happened with zuckerberg and with twitter but still four four companies dominate the net now at the same time then why are we on the net because it, there are still autonomous zones or what you can call zones of relative autonomy mm. then comes the next problem see the internet guarantees you a voice hmm it doesn't guarantee you that anyone is going to listen <laughs> because that's mediated by these four guys correct mm-hmm. anything you do they'll charge now i may have you may have a million followers on facebook you can't reach more than 2% of them without payment payment yeah after that it's got to be paid posts so it's like if i was the bank manager and i will not allow you to access your bank account except on the days the time and the purpose for which i feel mm. it is okay mm. that's these are squatters on the mm. net it wasn't created by their investments that's a great way of putting it squatters on the net yeah so there i think anti monopoly legislation is a mm-hmm. must and yeah. by the way europe has been doing some of it mm. with google so it's not impossible this trend of you know data privacy surveillance is um, you know there's drones coming and mapping your agricultural la- uh, land now and collecting god knows what data what are the challenges or fears that you have for our farming we economy we are living in the national surveillance state mm-hmm. we're doing that and the fears i mean it's you know i mean pegasus is the thin end of the wedge yeah you'll find that many journalists maintain since then a second phone <laughs> on which they don't use any apps that can be used as trojan horses mm-hmm. like whatsapp is mm-hmm. whatsapp is the quintessential trojan horse mm-hmm. they themselves said it 2 years ago 14400 accounts yeah. in india have been compromised a large mm-hmm. number of them by journalists hmm. but your thing is related to what she said i'm saying you can do things on the net pari is entirely a net based mm-hmm. organization but it's an unending uphill struggle mm-hmm. now i mean i know see we have uh, 2.2 2.3 million page views a year but i know for the work we are doing and the quality of what we are doing it ought to be incredibly higher but we can't reach because of all the problem with the information highway is all those highway men out there that's the problem but we have to and we have to work on the principle of what we call democratizing the net decolonizing the net that's what we have to work for and you see today in hindi journalism 
I think the best stuff is coming on the, apart from Ravish, who is the best, <laughs> the only exciting stuff happening in Hindi journalism is happening on little individual YouTube channels. Mm. They're really good. Some of them are, some of them are horrible. Some of them are wonderful. So it's a qu question of fighting to, for democratization, you can, what I call democratization of the digital. You know, you have to break monopoly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was welcome. A very exciting conversation. It was an incredible conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation, do share it with your friends and family. If you would like to collaborate or partner with us or get in touch with our women's cooperatives, write to us at communications at sevafederation.org. That is communications at S-E-W-A-F-E-D-E ratio.org we'll be back with another guest and another episode until then stay tuned to in solidarity <laughs>